This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarter Bin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select based on the genre assigned to the month of its release. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents? Or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 187th episode of the Quarterbin Podcast, in observance of hashtag War Comics Month, we're looking at Guns of the Dragon number one from DC Comics, cover dated October 1998. But first, a little feedback. Jeremiah, the notorious JJG, had thoughts on the last two episodes. Professor, I listened this week to the Quarterbin podcast episodes covering All-Star Western with Shag and the Fantasy Comics Month entry of Camelot 3000. As usual, they were both excellent episodes, and I enjoyed Shag as your guest. That man sure does know his comics, huh? I mean, sure, Jeremiah, yeah, I guess. Whatever. Like both of you, I had very little experience with Western comics when I was growing up. There were just not many around. My brother got into the Jonah Hex books that came out in the 80s, and I expect he read some of the Vertigo stuff as well. Myself, not so much. In recent years, though, I've been buying things like All-Star Western and Weird Western Tales when I find them in the bins. Two characters that I've really come to enjoy are Batlash and Scalp Hunter, despite the unfortunate name and connotations that go along with that last one. Yes, and well, Jeremiah, spoilers, there might be some Batlash showing up later in this episode. Camelot 3000, he continues, on the other hand, is a book I am very familiar with. My brother and I read this when it was coming out. Growing up, we were familiar with the Arthurian legends and tales due to the stories and books that our parents read to us at bedtime. And then whatever we read on our own. I remember Gawain and the Green Knight as a particular favorite back then. This book may have been our first exposure both to Brian Bolland and to a story with a mature reader label attached. I don't remember being frustrated with the delays. I just remember how good the story was. And of course, as a young man, between 11 and 13, there was certainly a lot of fantastic art that made an impression. Yes, Jeremiah, hello, Morgana Le Fay. I've read this series a couple times over the years and still enjoy it. It was a great pick for Fantasy Comics Month. Well done. Thank you, Jeremiah. Sir, Sir Martin of Grey also wrote in on last episode and made a shocking admission for an Englishman who claims to be a fan of comic books. Hi, Alan. I've never read Camelot 3000. When it came out, I just couldn't be bothered dragging myself to a specialist shop for yet another take on King Arthur, despite the appeal of Brian Bolland art. I do have the collection now, and we'll get to it one day when I retire, maybe. So it was great, 
to hear your very positive words. I would have happily endured, sorry, enjoyed your British accent. Mike W. Barr doesn't do too egregious a job with UK-style dialogue, though there's a mistake straight away. Nobody in the UK uses the word wholesale like that. Well, Martin, maybe they don't do that now, but in a thousand years? Anyway, condolences again on the loss of your father. Steve and I send all the best to your family and your dad's friends. Best, Martin. Thank you, Martin. Very kind. Appreciate that. Uh, Jeremiah also sent condolences, and he pointed out that at least I had plenty of cheap comic books around to take my mind off of things when needed. True. Very true. And we heard from faithful feedbacker Billy D, a.k.a. Doc Strange on Twitter. Hey, Prof, enjoyed the Camelot 3000 talk. I have a hardcover I bought on the cheap at Ollie's. Five dollars, maybe? But I still haven't dived in. Thinking about your thoughts on Mike W. Barr and his expansion of countries in the future. When pressed to think about it rationally, I'd argue there will be significantly fewer in the distant future if a future actually comes to pass. Thanks for the fun ep. Cheers. Thank you, Bill. Chuck, a.k.a. Dr. Pop Culture, BGSU, pointed out that Mike W. Barr was a keynote speaker at their 2019 Batman conference. He's a very nice and thoughtful guy. And this is one of my first and favorite series. Gene Hendricks said it was a series that he needed to reread soon, while Laurel from the Hunters podcast said she had heard good things about the series but never knew what it was about. Glad you covered these issues, Professor. You're welcome, Laurel. And from Sir Dr. Ange, I was lucky enough to find all 12 issues in very good shape in a group in a dollar box about five years ago. A 12-issue maxi for $12. Done. I must admit, I find the art is the big draw for this series. The story is fine, but the art is lush. Bolland at his best. And I also got issue one signed by Barr a few years ago at Terrificon, also issue five. If I had my druthers, and it wouldn't increase the already insane price, all books would be on Baxter paper. Such a nice color and weight. And as you say, it does hold up. My Legion books are still bright and crisp. Lastly, nice pickup on the Count of Nations in the book. I can't help but think in this current world climate, where people are defining and redefining and re-redefining their identity, a time where cultures are being thrust on people but also fiercely protected, that a day where there are 900 nations of small, self-selected groups seems a little inevitable. And I don't think that is a more enlightened world. Thanks for covering. Keen insights there, Ange. One of the things I love about comics is that a probably completely random and accidental combination of one line and another image, pages apart from each other, gave me and Ange and Billy and others, I'm sure, something to ponder for a while. Podcasting's Michael Bailey called it a fun episode. 
and Paul Hicks from Heroes Con expressed his hypothesis that Camelot 3000 was clearly a sequel to Doom 2099. Can't argue with that logic, Paul. And we got this royal dispatch from the Countess herself. Hi, Professor Allen. It was a pleasure to listen to the latest Quarterman podcast that featured Camelot 3000. Darren and I read that years ago, and it was nice to be reminded of the story and to hear what you thought of it. Like you, I'm a huge fan of King Arthur stories and thought this was a great selection for you to cover on hashtag Fantasy Comics Month. Over the years, it's been nice to learn that we have several similar interests in common that are based on the UK, including Sherlock Holmes, and the works of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. And now it's good to know the list also includes scones. I want to have one now, with a hot cup of tea, while rereading The Mists of Avalon. That sounds wonderful, Ruth. I was delighted when you mentioned that book, along with The Pendragon Cycle. I had not thought of those books in years, and I'm happy to know that you enjoyed them too. As always, thanks for your excellent podcasts. You make them fun and entertaining. Looking forward to the next one. Warm regards, Ruth Sutherland. Thank you, friend. Appreciate you and your almost as rad husband. And social media love for that episode came from Shane Kelly, Tom Panarese from Pop Culture Affidavit, Vic and Phoenix, Karen from Between the Pages, James Williams from Karen, Clinton from Coffee and Comics, Ed from Comic Addiction, Tim Price, the Podcrasher, Chris from Charlton Hero, Dave's Comic Heroes blog, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, Chris from Professor Frenzy, It's a Show, Freebird Comics, Matt Spectro, Jennifer DeRoss, Michael Brogan, Lane from Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose, Scott Kinney, Spy Vinyl, and Drew from Comics for Fun and Profit. When we come back, we'll jump into our hashtag War Comics Month issue, and we'll do that with a buddy of mine. Hey folks, this is Jared Albrecht, a.k.a. The Yard Sale Artist and semi-regular co-host of the Longbox Crusade podcast with Pat Sampson. Pat came to me recently with a fantastic idea on how we might get the podcast community involved in taking some action to do some good. He called this idea Comics for Courage. Comics for Courage is a concept that came to Pat after I told him the fantastic true story of when I was stationed in Iraq during my military service. While there, I received a huge care package of comic books from the awesome folks over at Wizard and Toy Fair magazines. We had so many comics, we didn't know what to do with them all. Seriously, it was over 100 pounds of comics. So me and a couple of buddies took the bounty of comics we had down to the give-and-take library we'd set up in our headquarters building. And you know what? Within 24 hours, all the comics were gone. The bottom line here is that throughout history, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, one thing remains a constant. Soldiers love comics. It's quick, easy, fun reading that gives a soldier a taste of home and lets them escape into an amazing world of comics, even if it's just for a few minutes. So here's the best part of Comics for Courage. 
Pat and I aren't asking you to donate one cent of your money to Comics for Courage. What we would love is for you to donate your excess comics. You know those ones that are just kind of laying around. Just drop them into a box or a big envelope and mail them over to supportourtroops.org. Their mailing address is Support Our Troops, 13617 North Florida Avenue, Tampa, Florida, 33613. Now, they will make sure those comics get distributed to random soldier care packages. And as a person who's been on the receiving end of this, I can tell you it will mean a lot. And if you'd rather donate money than give up a single comic book, trust me, we understand about that. You can donate through their website as well. Again, that's supportourtroops.org. Just remember two things, all right? Two things. One, make sure the comics have good, clean content. No nudity or adults-only comics, please. Those are the rules for any military member receiving goods downrange. Okay, and number two, this is the fun one. Please take a picture of you with your donation stack and post it on Twitter or Facebook at Longbox Crusade or email it to contact at longboxcrusade.com. We'd love to give you an on-air shout-out and post your pic on the longboxcrusade.com website. In summary, Pat and I over at Longbox Crusade Podcast would greatly appreciate you taking this small action to make a difference in the life of someone who is far from home defending our freedoms. Thank you for supporting the Comics for Courage initiative. That website, again, is supportourtroops.org. Please check it out. Throw them some comics. Make some soldiers happy. We appreciate it. Thanks again. And we're back. And by we, I don't just mean me and my collection of Latverian military memorabilia, because we are joined by the court physician of the relatively geeky podcast realm, Dr. Ange. Hey, thanks very much for inviting me. This is a real fascinating issue, and uh, I'm actually quite excited to talk about it. Glad to have you on the show. One thing I wanted to, to talk about, because we don't get a chance to talk about new comics current mm. comics very often either on the show or frankly these days on the network i know that you are a wednesday warrior we are recording on new comic book day as a matter of fact so just what is going on in the world of new comics do you have a couple that you recommend from the last year or so what are you what are you enjoying um i'll say there are a couple of books that i am like really enjoying the first one I would say is World's Finest, Batman slash Superman World's Finest, written by Mark Wade. With now, this Art is I. the one that our friends over at Waiting for Doom call Bizwith. That's right. Yeah, okay. that's, that's right. And uh, and drawn by Dan Mora, uh, who just has fantastic art. And it's Mark Wade, of course, he's a big fan of the DCU. He loves DC history. And he's done a wonderful job of kind of like placing it, it feels like somewhere in the past. So this is a red-trunked Superman. Batman mm -hmm. has a yellow circle around his bat. You know, Dick Grayson is Robin, and he's not too young, but he's not too old. You know, this is a Supergirl who looks like she's about 17, 18, and uh, it, that's really just a fantastic book. It, it is a very classic-feeling book, but it is not, like, retro to the point that you feel like you're reading an old book. It has modern sensibilities, but with a classic foundation. Right just really wonderful. The art's crazy. I, I don't know if you know Dan Moore at all, but 
Wade has been introducing or injecting other characters into all of the storylines. We've seen the Doom Patrol. We've right. seen like an old school Teen Titans, like red jumpsuit Donna, yellow <laughs> right. Kid Flash. And every character that he draws, I'm like, boy, he should do that book. <laughs> you know, which which <laughs> lets you know, which lets you know that he just draws everybody very, very well. And then the other book that I've really loved is uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson on action comics with Superman. He oh, just finished. I've heard, I've heard good things. Yeah, he just finished um, what he called the War World Saga, which was Superman basically went to War World to free all of the people that Mongol had enslaved and kind of like led a almost like Spartacus-like revolution there. That was just really fantastic. It was really, really fantastic. When it first started, I was like, I can't believe Superman's going off-world again. And like, what are we dealing with? Um, And this story's kind of been done before. But it was really, really wonderful, really showed like an inspiring Superman, how he can be depowered, but still be a role mm-hmm. model and something to aspire to. And I just thought it was fantastic. And uh, and this month he's like back. That storyline just ended. He's back on Earth. So I'm excited to see where it goes. Broadly speaking, the state of Supergirl currently in the DCU, I've heard some shaky yeah it's really fascinating to me like tom king came out with supergirl woman of tomorrow that had to be sometime last year um and it was a tom king book right she was like uh sad depressed dealing with post-traumatic stress was doing good things when she could but like got drunk got angry like flew into the sun and cried like uh, like, and then did some off-putting things where like allowed the child that she was traveling with to witness someone being stoned to death you know um so Mm -hmm. i was not a fan of that book i'm very surprised there were many people that loved that book i don't know if they're supergirl fans necessarily but tom king fans yeah but what's been good is that both philip kennedy johnson in action has kind of made her the intellectual of the group, the Kryptonian historian of the group, very nice, much nice. heroic. And then Wade's characterization of her in, in World's Finest, she's right. been in both arcs so far, has just been pure gold. So, Great. I mean, she doesn't have a solo book on the on the shelves, and I don't know if right. she ever, or will anytime soon, but um, there seems to be at least some reclamation of her character after what I think was a hatchet job by King. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, well... I knew you felt that way. Thought maybe you wanted to get it off your chest. Yeah, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks so much for asking. Like, I, I still see like people who are like, "This is the best book that's been produced in the last ten years." Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, and I'm like, I, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that says you can't like what you like. I just don't know why you like it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, enjoy it. That's your business. So, now I do have a question based on you know up there where you live in because. I've only heard of one actual cheap bin in the Northeast. Yeah. I think, it, I think it was Nathaniel who found a quarter bin once in Vermont. So are there any ready supply of comp? Not for a quarter. I don't want to you know, push yeah. it, but can you get anything for less than a buck up there? Um, my local store has a very good, what they call bargain bin, which is dollar comics. Okay. Um, uh, and that has a whole mix. And what I think has been uh, good for them is that a lot of people have clearly been selling off their collection to them. And there's not much utility, I think, for them to like go through Overstreet and say, this one is $2.50, this one is $3. Yeah, so, yeah. so they pull out the wall books and then they throw everything else into the dollar bin. And so you can go and get whole runs of, of old books. like That's uh, the way to do it. Yeah, like the 1980s Captain Adam 
basically mm -hmm. outside of issue one was like there in its entirety, right? You know, and uh, and the good thing about that that store is that like once a year they do something where they go like this week they're going to be seventy five cents, next week they'll be fifty cents, the week after that they'll be twenty five cents, and then at one point they actually said they're going to be fifteen cents. The problem is, you know, by that point. Yes, you have to decide when you strike, right? It's like, boy, I really want to get those Captain Adam books. Maybe I'll wait till next week when they're 50 cents, then they're gone. So, and and of course, I do some things where it's like, oh, there's the whole brick of Walt Simonson Orion in the midst of the burn new gods and other stuff. And I'm just right. going to take those books out of that section where people might find them and put them here in like the Archie section. And <laughs> so come back next week. Back and... Next week. So I do enjoy rating those bargain bins when I can. Okay, Dollar just, box joy. I was just, I was just checking. I, technically, I guess that qualifies you for uh, yeah. guesting here. So I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow <laughs> it. Uh, so let's talk about this one. This is Guns of the Dragon number one, cover price of two dollars and fifty cents. Meaning, I got this comic at a very easy to compute ninety percent markdown. I had not heard of this title before I saw it in a quarter bin. Must have been a three, four years ago now, Ange. Um, yeah. Before I gave you the list of possible books that we could cover, had you ever heard of Guns of the Dragon? No, I had never heard of it, which made it, I think, uh, even better read because you kind of go in blind. Right. I think as, as as we were commiserating over that, maybe that's why it's not on the app. Yeah, it must be at the bottom of the pile of things to be scanned <laughs> and uploaded. We have a what? Okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, the cover by Tim Truman shows three hunter type fellas, guns held with dinosaurs all around them and down the side and round insets. The fellas on the cover are identified as Enemy Ace, Batlash, and Biff Bradley. So first, overall thoughts on the cover. I think uh, I'm a sucker for those circle insets when I see mm -hmm, them on like the mm -hmm. roll ball. So that works very good. You sort of take a look. It's not the young, I'm surrounded by women in the saloon batlash. So you're already saying yep. like, okay, this takes place somewhere in his future. I was sort of like, is Biff Bradley Slam Bradley related to Slam Bradley? I don't know Biff Bradley, but um, but it's an interesting mix of characters. I'm a sucker for enemy ace in almost anything he's in. Yep. Um, and so to have him, uh, you know, with a big brontosaurus behind him, is just like, <laughs> what the heck's going on? Here? And of course, it's Tim Truman, who yeah. I have a little bit of history with. So uh, so I kind of trust, I, I yeah. have a trust that he'll at least weave something interesting to read. And I think it's only fair to nod to our good friend, Sir, Sir Martin of Grey. I will note that the logo is pretty cool. Mm. It's a very interesting font. And like inside the words of the font, there's like heat waves or like the sun's rays. It's yeah. pretty cool. So I, th I think Mart's gonna prove. Yes, yes. He's a he's a hard judge. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's one more thing we need to go over before we start to talking about this. I do need to make an explanation to listeners because thing is, I don't read the quarter bin books before they're selected before i'm prepping for them like i don't read it and say oh this would be a good book for the podcast pick the books then announce them ready then i read them and i say all that to say that we're releasing this in november for war comics month and my thinking was obvious there are lots of guns on the cover 
It does have Enemy Ace, but it's not really a traditional war comic, especially in 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 the DC sense. It's like more of an adventure comic. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, or fantasy fantasy adventure with war overtones. It's a it's a genre mashup. Yeah, it would be interesting to uh, again, uh, like I I won't bury the lead. I I obviously have not read two through four. Um, they are <laughs> setting up sort of like the Chinese uh, revolution here. Yeah. So who knows if it becomes more war like right um, later on in the title? It would be hard for it to be a legitimate. I mean. This could be like whatever the war that time forgot. You're that, 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 that's almost where it's where it's heading. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, but let's give our nod to war comics just just for a second here. Is that a genre that you read heavily in that you know much of, or there a title or a character or two that jump out at you? Obviously, Enemy Ace was probably the draw for me and Tim yeah. Truman to grab this this book out of the bin. Yeah, you know, it's not a, a genre that I typically read. Like, as a kid growing up, it maybe was a random uh, weird war tales because I was an unexpected House of Mystery kind of a horror kid. Mm, um, right. But I did not pick up Sergeant Rock or any of those things. I had a next-door neighbor friend at the at the time who I'm always amazed at kids back then that were like, oh, you know, occasionally I'll just buy one. As opposed to like, I have to go every week and look and like, where is the next one? Like, Who are you? What is wrong with you, kid? And, and he liked Viking Commando for some reason. So I can remember at least thumbing through those as a kid. Um, <laughs> Enemy Ace is a, a, a draw for me. And I'll say that um, I had picked up some old issue with him in it uh, back uh, somewhere along the way. And then found the archive for oh, nice. like, right, for like right. 15 bucks somewhere and so and so and those are just unbelievably well read so he's probably the draw but i'll tell you this is a if if you're saying like what is a blind spot for me um war Mm -hmm. comics probably would be a blind spot overall with the exception i assume of howard chaykin's blackhawk yes yes (laughs) love howard chaykin's blackhawk actually tried to get the blackhawk comic after that came out um to sort of see if they picked up that storyline that's really underrated i don't know if you've read that chaykin blackhawk stuff it's a you know you you have to be an intelligent reader and pick up clues he doesn't lay anything out for you Mm -hmm. but i thought it was beautifully drawn um and a pretty compelling story blackhawk in general is probably my favorite i mean it's a title that's gone through so many iterations yeah in its in its publishing life but I like a lot of those iterations, including the very intense and different Shaken version. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's a type of character or group of characters that you can do some different things with. But all of that brings us to this, which is Dragon Island, Chapter One, Story and Art by Tim Truman. So we start between the World Wars, or from the perspective of that time after the Great War during what in the U.S. would have been the Roaring Twenties. But we're not in the U.S. We're in Shanghai, and it's 1927. Winter Saloon, claiming to be your home away from home in Shanghai. A saloon that offers gambling, girls, good food, imported Kentucky bourbon. I think imported might be a bit redundant there, Ange, but... (laughs) And foreigners welcome. We And we uh, focus in on a poker game. When one of the players gets handsy with the waitress, a local gal, she fights back with a knife before things get crazy. A man with a German accent 
tells the man with the now slashed face to leave the child alone. Okay, no more accents. Not even going to try. Okay. He is subjected to a barrage of anti-German racist comments, I guess, and responds by punching out the scruffy, drunk American. The German is Baron Hans von Hammer of the German Flying Corps, who has comic book readers we know as Enemy Ace. And with a jumping blue blazes, the bartender hops over the bar to break up the escalating fight. We learn that the bartender is Biff Bradley, and I will interrupt the story to point out that Truman's original intention was to use, as you said, Doc, the Golden Age character of Slam Bradley, but he was in someone's plans to be used at about the same time. Um, so Truman invented a brother, Biff. <laughs> so in who I don't believe has ever been used outside of these four issues, but there you go. Back to the story. The fight is broken up. Von Hammer and Bradley introduce themselves. And then he slugs Van Hammer, and on his way to drag him out the door, an older Southern gentleman on the second floor tells Bradley to drag that pony up here. I'd like to chew some oats with him. He is an older Bat Lash, and he's been in China for more than a quarter century. After a falling out with some gambling buddies back home, we've all been there, Ange. We have all <laughs> been there. Too true. <laughs> he runs the saloon and he knows all about enemy ace. He talks of how China is changing, how the communists are moving in, how the Japanese are growing strong nearby. Soon, all Asia will be washing in its own blood. He explains to Von Hammer that he has a deal going and he needs a flyer. Bradley's already on the team and now they're a trio. Our band has been assembled. From down below, a man with dark, curly hair and a big beard watches. We see that he's working with the clan of the Dubutsu Ninja, committed to the fall of all Asia for the glory of Japan and the emperor. The ninja promises the dark-haired man he will be well rewarded. But his reward is simply service to the empire. Vandal Savage needs no other payment. Boom! Yeah, I find that hard to believe. I'm sure he has some <laughs> stake in the game. But <laughs> Our trio meets their benefactors, America's number one man in China, General Stilwell, and Chiang Kai-shek of the Chinese Nationalist Party. Stilwell says it's time to get down to business. You boys ever heard of the old Chinese folktale about Dragon Island? The legend involves two magic swords that the emperor used to split a mountain once from which flew great dragons. The swords and the dragons are supposedly hidden on a secret isle. And it's said that when the swords and dragon return, China will once again be strong. And this is where my war book turned into epic fantasy. Before their doubts can grow, Chiang Kai-shek tosses a pterodactyl carcass on the table. That is a move. The, <laughs> the Americans have info where the island may be, and the General Chang wants them in the swords. With them, I will rally my people away from the communists. 
their meeting is interrupted by a ninja dropping through a window because we hadn't had enough yet. Batlash proclaiming how much he hates violence plugs him with a blam, blam, blam. Turns out the ninja is in fact some sort of monstrous being of some kind. This is all too much for Biff, dragons, magic swords, secret islands, treasure maps. Now this, I, I, I know, I hear you Biff. I was thinking the exact same thing. Two days later, our team of three is on a ship heading towards the island. They split a pile of cash among themselves, half on departure, half on delivery. And then on the last page, we see that Vandal Savage is working for, or at least with, both Miss Fear and the leader of the Communist Party, Mao Tse Tung, next Dinosaur Island. I have to say, Doctor, my first reaction on reading this, that was unexpected. Yeah. I mean, the whole story was unexpected. The whole it went story. directions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and... I mean, I'll speak for myself and maybe I'll be speaking for you. Like I've been reading comics for a long, long time now. So when you throw a curveball that I am not anticipating and then you throw multiple curveballs <laughs> that I'm not anticipating, then I'm like, boy, this was like a super refreshing read. I was not anticipating exactly. anything. And so, you know, this is why I said, you know, uh, you're going to ask me the question at the end, but uh, I would have I would have read other issues of this yeah. had I read this issue. Yeah, right. You know, um, would, it I... reminds me. Sorry, it reminds me a little bit of like Truman's, you know, Two Gun Mojo. Right. You're reading right. what you think is a Jonah Hex issue, and then all of a sudden there were giant worms, right? <laughs> you know, or Riders of the Worms and such, or zombies, and you go, "Well, that wasn't where I thought this was going," and kind of freshens things up. But and and with all the dragons. And the swords and the mysticism, this and the magic, that and the adventure. It's also historical fiction. Yeah, well, most like you said it's it's really in that in that uh, between the wars things brewing in Asia. I mean, historical fiction. How do you feel about that? Just in general, like prose, or and also in comics. Do you, do you like or not like your funny books? Yeah. When they have connections to the real world, is that off-putting? Is that does that draw you in? So I'll tell you what's fascinating to me is that um, my high school, a private Catholic high school um, up here in New England, as a freshman. So now we're going way back in the time <laughs> machine. The history class we took was Afro-Asian history, where you learned about Asian history. Interesting. So like right, some right. of these names, Chuan Lei, Chiang Kai-shek, Mao Zedong, all of that stuff, I'm like, boy, you're like digging deep in some neurons <laughs> to try to remember exactly what's going on. But even things, you know, like the newspaper that the guy is reading on the second page that talks about like the Hanku riot, like I went to Wiki and that happened, right? Mm -hmm. And And so I think that... Um, as long as it doesn't take too many liberties, right? Like, uh, you know, Chiang Kai-shek did have a falling out with Chu Lei. Mao Zedong was organizing to go against them. Japan was trying to come in. Uh, I don't mind reading it as long as, like, of course, they're going after two mystic swords and dragons. So that's a little <laughs> bit crazy. But, but at least, like, the stuff around it at, right. at least felt accurate. So, so I'm not against it. Uh, and, uh, again, this is not... I'm sure that this is a subject that not many Westerners 
know a lot about exactly, right yeah. so like you know going back and trying to do a little research can only make me smarter even general gen, uh when general stillwell whose mm -hmm. nickname was vinegar i looked up <laughs> he's part of it so uh so i thought it was all uh very very interesting to um to see this set in those times and and, and you say that with the jonah hex that uh truman has done and i think you know, scout to me is probably another yeah. of his famous works they all have that that sense of research to them like he's done his yeah. work to get this era or this culture or this character right so kind of feel like i'm probably in good hands i completely agree with you that you know this does not seem like uh a white guy just you know taking shots in the dark this yeah. felt grounded in yeah. that way yeah and I like in the in the the war books and the westerns when they can tie in enough historical characters or events and and so my rule is the further in the past the less of a problem I have with that for some reason like the closer you get to me it's like, mm, I don't know yeah. you know especially when you're throwing in this this the the the, the craziness and 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 the, the the nuttiness of the historical fantasy elements uh, of it but I have less of a problem with that when you you know, we're a hundred years in the past. You got me. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this is a book from a quarter of a century ago. And there is some potentially problematic ethnic stereotypes, including the young man at the bar named Chop Chop, who I read is not actually the one from the Blackhawks. Oh, so I thought I it was. I guess then, yeah, must have been an homage, but no, I guess someone did the. Someone did the math. The age just doesn't work. Yes, but yeah. uh, so there is another. There is another. Uh, uh, there is another chop chop. And of course, as we said, von Hammer is called some pretty rough. I mean, anti-German names yes. again. You know, post World War One. So you know, we're a little little leery about about working. Yeah. I mean, we know him as Enemy Ace. What's the first word of that, Ange? Enemy. Yes. Yeah. You know, so that's an interesting cultural cultural phenomena and it's just to me this is such a these in-between periods in history we know that this is in between the world wars yeah they didn't no this <laughs> right? is true you know this is true to them right? it's it's post the big yeah. war you have to put your mind in a totally different framework is they don't know what's what's a decade a decade away I have to say, uh, if we're talking about stereotypes, the one that made yeah. me um, maybe inappropriately laugh is there were the two French drug peddlers. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, we'll fight you. And then it's basically they're like doing like a slap fight, right? Like, take this and this and this and this, I'm slapping you, right? Which, uh, which you know, like, like the French war prowess is something that I think people make fun of. And this is very stereotypical. Um, I mean, words uh, that are being said to enemy ace is one thing. Um, yeah. Showing that the French are, they slap, right? <laughs> Instead of getting into a fist fight, uh, uh, I thought was, I, I chuckled a little. And then we've got our, at least our comic book, Big Bad, Vandal Savage. Yeah. Which, again, we're not, we, we are tying it into DC Comics pretty, you know, pretty closely uh, with yeah. that. And, you know, he's always doing some, trying to pull some historical something, but that just adds a layer of intrigue to me. It's like, it's not just an adventure story. It's this fantasy adventure, but then it has this 
it does have this comic book supervillain uh, edge to it as well. Yeah, I I find it hard to believe that if uh, if they find two magic swords capable of splitting the earth, <laughs> that he's going to just hand it over to some. I think he has his own ideas, but <laughs> but it, I thought it was another way to sort of like ground this in the DCU, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, we, you know, we said this is a basically a one creator book in terms of the script, the pencils, inks, and 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 the cover. It's all uh, Timothy Truman or Tim Truman. He's credited under under both names. And for me, he's one of the key independent guys of the '80s. That that's my primary association. Grimjack, he did art yeah. on, and then the writer artist on Scout. Yeah. which which went through a pretty long run for an independent book and some mini series over the years. So to me, that's really what I associate him with, though he did some work on the excellent maxi series, The Kents, hmm. which me and Em and Michael Bailey talked about a number of years ago and probably Hawkworld. Yeah, I guess some recent Conan would probably be also among his his best known best known works. What do you think of? comic wise in truman actually like his art style a lot i think mm -hmm. um it's uh, i don't it's like reminiscent of joe Kubert to me in a way in terms mm -hmm. of uh the way that he plays out i think he's totally set up to do things like this and things like the jonah hex books mm -hmm. i know him mostly unfortunately from the dc stuff so the two jonah hex um miniseries that he did and that Hawkworld prestige right. yeah. series which, you know, came out at a time when they were reinvigorating all of those characters. Mm -hmm. and, you know, if you talk to almost anybody, they'll say, if it started out on page one saying 10 years ago, it would have been perfect. But the fact that they <laughs> yeah. had to like shove it into that yeah. actual present, just muddied up an already ugly Hawkman continuity. Yeah. Um, but if you read that, that three issue book, that's also very much like an allegory of the haves and the have nots right. and, yep. you know, uh, slum living and, you know, inappropriate police action and that sort of stuff. So mm -hmm. I, um, I really actually like that book. I did meet him once at a convention and got him to sign yeah. those three books. And I also got him to sign, this was back in the, um, the Miracle Man series from Eclipse Comics. And oh, they, they had a number of different, well-known artists do covers of which mm -hmm. he did one okay. so i had him to i had him sign uh that book uh, uh everything i've read by him i've certainly enjoyed very much he he writes a good dense story this was not something that you could burn through in five minutes right you sat down and read this issue and kind of soaked it in so i like him a lot uh, i yeah. think he's got a real flair for dialogue some of the lines here are great like when von hammer meets batlash and he's like you know who are you and he's like well people called me a lot of things about canines or lineage or, or <laughs> both, both right you know <laughs> which which i thought was like just gold i like i might use that line myself and even the name of the of the um of the bar you rascal you right sort of like a jimmy cagney sort of a mm -hmm. you rascal you right mm -hmm. so uh I, I I really enjoyed uh, everything about this uh, art and story and dialogue. I thought it was just well done. Yeah, I, you know, it's to me. You know, I hope I I I, I hope at some point during this four issues, Batlash maybe he's too old to be thrown through a saloon window. But at least I hope he throws. So I hope there's some reference to me. That is always what happens to Batlash. Usually, yes. usually the splash page is him being thrown through a window. That's yes. <laughs> the king of defenestration. 
uh, you know, I don't know at this advanced years, it might not work for them as much, but I, I hope somebody, somebody gets thrown through a window some point in this series. Yeah, the, the whole, that whole scene has like two or three different fights in the saloon, which yeah. I think kind of felt pretty good. And, and I have to say, one of the things that I loved was Biff breaks up the fight. Enemy Ace is actually the good guy there, right? He's right. not going to let these U.S. guys, you know, you know, drag away this young girl to do anything tawdry. And then Biff is just like, no, you caused the fight. It punches him, right? You know, he's <laughs> going to be like, there is, I just want a clean bar, right? So, uh, so that took me no, almost the like accidental fight between heroes before they team <laughs> right, up. That's right. That's right. I guess that that saloon rules. I guess. Yes. <laughs> Even if you break up the potential fight, you've started the fight. Yes. Yeah. By stepping in too soon, you're the one who started it. The uh, yeah, I met Tim Truman at I think it was Baltimore a number of years ago, probably for the Kents. Probably had him sign that, though it may have been some scout as well, because I've got some mm -hmm. issues of, of that. And my my uh, memories are nice fellow. Yes. Yeah. You know, nice guy. Yeah. Terms of the art, I, I like the faces. Everyone looks different. Yeah, Every, everyone looks looks different. You can tell who's who. And what what do you think of the take on Vandal Savage? Dark, full beard, full curly hair. Yeah, has a little bit of an Alan Moore feel to him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think that that does kind of give him almost like a barbarian. Yeah, sort that, of that look, that's what it looks right? like. A little Viking well, or very yeah, yeah something. And it, it kind of gives something out of time, like, yeah. Yeah, like a man out of time, right? Which I mm -hmm. think is sort of another mm -hmm. hint. Um, you know, everybody's comic is somebody's first comic, right? People might not know Vandal Savage is immortal, but you get a sense that there's something off, right? Um, yeah. What else can I tell you that I really liked about this? I did think that tying in Dinosaur Island to this myth of dragons was also sort of like a brilliant stroke, right? That it's like we know we know that it's true. Look, here's a dragon. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's a pterodactyl. It's not a real dragon, right? Yeah. No, um, which, again, when you think about the spokes that Truman has put out into the DC universe, right? So let's call it Slam Bradley because that's right. really what he wanted. Let's say he meant it to be Chop Chop, but the years didn't match mm -hmm. up. But you've got like Western, well, World War One, Pulp Detective, World War Two, Blackhawk, now Dinosaur Island, and Vandal Savage, right? <laughs> he like cast a wide net and somehow tied it all up in this one issue that left me wanting more you know that's pretty impressive that might also be why the the series is sort of forgotten i guess maybe it, it tried to do too much yeah or yeah pull from too many there's no way you can work all 12 of those things in the continuity so let's just let's just set that aside yeah. that was that <laughs> that was fun but almost too many consequences uh for characters yeah and as you say like as if there's not enough then like a ninja that turns out to be like a monster, monster? I, then... mask like bursts through the roof you're like whoa there's not a lot of downtime in this one issue you're like really going from one thing to I mean, we're we're chuckling talking about it i was chuckling reading it no I, I, no I can't I, see I, it. I, I, I have to say, it's like, you know, what are you looking for in comics? You're looking to be entertained. You're looking for it to be, you know, a meaty enough read that you're not done in two minutes. And like, what did I see? And this had all of that. It had action and plot and, and intrigue, you know, uh, it, it did. It, let, it put a smile on my face. 
let's downplay this number just so we don't embarrass ourselves too much. But let's say we've each read thousands of comics. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tens of thousands of comics. Yeah, probably okay. tens of thousands of comics. <laughs> like, like you said, when you're surprised more than once, that's worth something. Yeah. <laughs> that alone is worth something. No, uh, I'll tell you, and it starts out small. Like I was like, oh, I wasn't, I didn't think Biff would punch out enemy ace. That's a kind of a surprise. That's interesting. And then it's like, oh, enemy ace is going to get lured into this crazy thing by who cut the higher card. That's like, he seems like he's a smarter guy than that. That's right. Oh, now there's a pterodactyl on the table. <laughs> so yeah, it, it did. Whenever I say like, boy, I didn't see that coming. Uh, I, I'm always thrilled, right? You know, uh, so to get so many twists, I was like, just fantastic. Well, Doc, let's make it official. Guns of the Dragon, number one, was it worth a quarter? I would say totally worth a quarter. It might even be worth the cover price. I have to go back. <laughs> How much was it? A, a buck 25? So, 250. No. 250. Well, now you're pushing it, buddy. Maybe not 250, <laughs> but, uh, but I would say well, well worth a quarter. Like, honestly, the first thing I did was, uh, after I read it, was say, like, do you have the other book? <laughs> right? because, <laughs> I because I wanted to read more. And truthfully, you know, these days reading comics, when I read the last page of an issue that I just got off the rack and I go, man, I can't believe I have to wait four more weeks to read the next part. That's like the best compliment yeah. I can give. Absolutely. You know? and, and, and again, you know, it, it does what an issue one is supposed to do is make you really want issue two. Yeah. And I went straight to the app and it ain't there. And yeah. odds are, even if you pay the premium membership, I don't think it's going to be there for a while. I just, yeah. I just don't know. So, but that is the, uh, that is the exact definition of success for a first issue. So easily a total quarter bin deal. Absolutely. And if we have any friends who have, issues two through four anyway just i'm just throwing that out into the ether i'm just throwing that out into the ether whoever wants to share <laughs> vamping a little bit but i just went to midtown comics and you can get number two and number three for under three dollars but no number four which might kill the deal <laughs> that might be worse that might be worse Ange. <laughs> yes i think that kills the deal um so <laughs> we'll keep our eyes out for the bins. Keep our yeah, eyes out for exactly. the bins. Fortunately, exactly. there's a very recognizable logo right at the yes. top. So you'll yeah. if you flip, listeners, you'll know if you found one. <laughs> oh. Ange, my friend, thank you so much for joining me. Glad to have you here. Yeah, I mean it. Thank you for inviting me. I always love talking to you. And, uh, and thank you for this book. I, other quarter bins I've been on have included the uh, Millennium crossover <laughs> with Legion. Um, uh, so, uh, so this one was an absolute treat. <laughs> upgrade. Upgrade. Now you owe me. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So uh, tell our lovely listeners about how to follow you on the socials and where they can find your written comic review ramblings about Supergirl and other things. I'm most active on Twitter at Dr. Ange 70 where you'll see a variety of tweets about comics, sports, pumpkins that I'm carving, occasional grousing about work. 
I will warn people that the college basketball season is about to start. So how do those Providence Flyers look this year, buddy? They have a whole new team, but they all look very athletic. So I'm actually quite upbeat about this. So just be aware about 20% of my tweets <laughs> will be about college basketball in about a month. Um, <laughs> and then if you're looking to read my comic stuff, I have a Supergirl fan site called Comic Box Commentary. But if you type Supergirl blog in your yeah. Google search bar, I'm right at the top and I cover all things Supergirl, but also Superman, Legion of Superheroes, uh, extended super family stuff as much as I can. Now, let me ask you this. With the TV show gone, yeah, does that mean your comic work becomes more important in the Supergirl world? or Yeah. I mean, it se seems to me, I mean, you were there first, and then you got blown away by the tidal wave of a TV yeah. show. I mean... Has that, yeah. has that tide receded a little bit? I don't know I, how I, your, what your relationship was with TV show fans or just curious. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll say that um, I was always happy to see her character become or be put in front of more eyes sure. than before, yes. right? You know, like I used to tell people I'm a Supergirl fan and for the non-comic people, they would be like, that doesn't exist. Do you mean Wonder Woman, right? So, like, uh, That's true. Uh, so my site is almost exclusively comic stuff now because right. the show has gone away. And I used to have a lot of very vocal people who would comment about my reviews of the show when I would sort of talk mm -hmm. about what I liked and didn't like about the episode. And I don't see them that much anymore. Right. And it's kind of tough. I'll, I'll tell you that, like, I used to, it's crazy for me to think that I used to do five posts a week, Monday through Friday. But with no Supergirl book on the shelves, with no real Legion yeah. book on the shelves, with no television show airing, um, I'm kind of like three times a week to sort of keep thing, keep the lights on. But right. I still enjoy it very much. Um, I still enjoy my interactions that I have with creators through that site. So um, it's all good. Thanks again, Doc. Good to have you here. I really hope we see each other at a convention one day. That'll let's, be the best of days. Let's make it so. Make that so. And that wraps up our coverage of guns of the dragon number one bringing episode 187 to a close next month december is of course hashtag holiday comics month and you can think of that episode as a doom speak crossover we look at fantastic four 361 from marvel comics cover dated february 1992 and if things go as planned like this episode I will not be alone. If you have any questions or comments about this issue, the episode, cross-genre comic books, Dinosaur Island, or the podcast in general, feel free to contact me. Till next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarterback. Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age Short Box Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening.